This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's now time to turn back the clock and catch up with some old friends of A's past, exclusively on A's Cast. This is Where Are They Now? Vince Catronio sits down with alumni of the Oakland Athletics to reminisce and discuss current adventures. Here's Vince Catronio. It is time for another episode of Where Are They Now? And boy, we are pleased to be joined by longtime A's second baseman Mark Ellis. Spent 12 years in the big leagues and nine of those with the A's. Certainly during his time, one of the more popular players with the A's from the early 2000s into uh, the 2010s. He joins us from home in Seattle with Sarah and the kids. Uh, Mark, tell me about settling in Seattle. I know you spent some time in Arizona. How'd you end up in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, we just, we're ready for a change. We're ready to, to get out of the desert. We didn't have a lot of family down in uh, Arizona, like no family at all. Um, I had a, I guess that's not true. I had a niece down there. And, um, but uh, my kids have four cousins up here. Grandma is up here. So this is, that's the main reason we came up here. And just, uh, we started spending a couple summers after my playing career in Arizona and we decided that's not that's not the the weather we wanted to enjoy our summers in so we decided to move up here and endure the rain for the for the winter season so we could have a nice summer season well, what's keeping Mark Ellis busy these days well the three kids I feel like uh, all I do is drive so I buy this truck and I'm probably the worst decision I ever made is to buy a truck when the gas goes to six dollars a gallon I'm driving all over town but uh it's uh it's great we uh you know, as soon as 2.30 hits, uh, our day kind of gets going. And we somebody's going to gymnastics, somebody's going to the barn, somebody's going to baseball, football, practice, you know. So we're just kind of going all over the place. Just And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'd love to be able to be around them and uh, to be blessed to have this opportunity to do that. I think this is one question that I don't even recall asking you when you played for the A's. How did a kid from Rapid City, South Dakota, end up at the University of Florida? Now, we had Dick Green on earlier this year. Uh, talked about how you know he didn't have a high school baseball team. He had to play summer ball to get recognized and signed as a free agent by the A's. And, of course, he went on to greatness, and we're going to talk about that relationship later. But how did you get noticed to get down to Florida? Same thing. We uh, So we play American Legion baseball in my hometown, and uh, there's no high school baseball just because it would be silly. You know, you have such a short season. I mean, they had snow last weekend. Um, which is a little unusual, but it can happen. You know, you're just going to miss too many games. And up here in Seattle, they have the turf field, so they can play. They play through rain, and it's it's fine, you know. But back there, we don't have that stuff. And um, playing a Legion, Legion Baseball World Series when I was 16 years old in Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, we had good teams. We had really good teams. My coach had been there for 40 years, and he's passed away now, but he's just an absolute legend in my hometown. And uh, we were always very competitive, and he sent a lot of players to um, to college and to professional baseball. And so we're playing in the Legion World Series. I was 16 years old, just finishing uh, my ooh, probably sophomore year in high school, and we ended up winning the World Series uh, that year. And Gary Henderson, uh, Oregon native and pitching coach at Pepperdine at the time, 
uh, saw me and kind of started their recruiting process. And then they, the staff, Andy Lopez and his staff moved from Pepperdine to Florida. And then, um, then they kept recruiting me there. And uh, I honestly didn't have a lot of offers. You know, I thought like Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, I thought they'd recruit me harder than they did. And they, they just showed very little interest. And uh, Creighton was an option. Arkansas State or Florida I said I think I'll go to Florida <laughs> so I think that was that's why I ended up down there yeah. and how did that relationship grow with you and David Eckstein you at shortstop and David at second and as you guys got to the big leagues those positions changed for both of you yeah it was a first year um, I played third base actually we had a, a guy named John Tamargo who was a junior and he was going to sign he knew he had made it known he wanted to sign and go play professional baseball so he stayed at shortstop as a junior, I played third base as a freshman, and David was at second, and Brad Wilkerson was at first, ironically, which was a pretty good infield in college. And um, then the next year, John left, and I moved over to short. David stayed at second, and somebody else played third, and um, that's kind of the, that's kind of how it went. And uh, David was a very good mentor to me and always very good to me. His older brother, Ricky, who's also been involved in Major League Baseball quite a bit, um, was, I think, a year older than David even. And... Um, was also just great, great friends and took me in and uh, have always been very good to me. So then it was it was so fun when David was with the Angels and I was in Oakland and we got to play, see each other all the time and play against each other. It was great. Mark Ellis joining us in our Where Are They Now episode. And I think, Mark, people rightly so associate you primarily with the Oakland Athletics, nine of your 12 years with the A's, but you were not drafted by the A's. You were drafted by Kansas City in 1999. What do you remember about that day being drafted in the ninth round? Oh, I was ecstatic. You know, I had no agent. <laughs> I mean, it was the funniest thing. I watch these kids now, and I just laugh because they got all this hoopla around them and everything. And it was literally my mom and my dad. And I think my my Legion coach actually came over to the house. But I didn't know where I was going to get drafted. You know, you talk to all these people, and, you know, without an agent, you don't really know, you know. And um, I was a senior in college, so – I knew I'd get drafted. I just didn't know where or when. I didn't care. I was like, I just give me a chance and let me go play baseball, and I don't have to do, go to school anymore and play baseball. You know, it's like perfect. It's like the greatest thing that ever happened. So uh, Cliff Pasternicki called my dad uh, from the Royals, and I had I don't even remember meeting him when I was playing in college. And uh, the Royals had a crazy amount of draft picks that year. They had like three or four first round picks and supplemental picks and second, third round. Um, so they had a lot of draft picks. And he said, he told my dad, he said, Hey, uh, we're going to give Mark a thousand dollars. And my dad was like, really? Because I don't know how he's going to live on a thousand dollars. He said, well, I need to know by the end of the night, you can either take it or leave it, but I need to know if you're going to leave it because we're going to go draft another shortstop tomorrow. I was like, okay. So we talked about it for a while. I said, well, I have no, options here so we took our thousand dollars and <laughs> drove up to Spokane Washington and lived with a nice lady and a roommate and just played baseball and you know I had a great time that summer and could have cared less about the thousand dollars or their lack of money I guess I should say most people on January 1st Mark are paying attention to college football but you were traded actually on that day you know in today's world everybody knows trades before they happen with social media and it'll be network and you know, all different riders trying to be, you know, first to the punch on so-and-so being moved for so-and-so. Uh, you're sitting there probably watching a football game or doing something with family, and all of a sudden you get a phone call, and you're in Oakland A. How excited were you? Well, I was crushed, to be honest with you. Um, 
you know, back then they had the Baseball America, like the the magazine. I think they still probably have it, but it's like the like the newspaper or whatever. So we had, we got pretty tight with uh, Kansas City in the year and a half that I was there. All of us that were kind of in that same draft class did short season and A ball, and then we did instructional league and all that stuff together. So. I made a lot of really good friends, and I was like, I thought I was like, you know, on the fast track to the big leagues. You know, I had a couple good years, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna be the shortstop in Kansas City in no time. And then I get traded, and uh, I was first of all, I was like, well, how does Kansas City not want me? You know, <laughs> how could they not want me? You know, and then uh, I didn't really understand. You know, I understood how all this stuff worked, but you know, you're still kind of like offended almost. You know, and then uh, I look at the top prospects for Oakland, and it's all like shortstops and second basemen, like uh, Jose Ortiz, uh, Esteban Herman. So I was like, "Oh, great! Now I got to go here, and uh, you know, I'm already behind the eight ball, and got to try to try to earn my way back up there." Which is fine. That's what baseball is all about. But as a young kid, you know, who thought you had a maid in the Royals organization, thought everybody loved you, thought you were like awesome, you know. But um, so I was crushed, and then I, as soon as I got over to Oakland in spring training. Uh, you know, I was, I was really happy to be there and loved the guys and loved the organization. Keith Lippman, I thought, was really cool. I thought it was cool because he was a farm director and he's out there um, hitting ground balls and throwing batting practice. And uh, I had never seen that before, and uh, that, that made a really good impression on me, seeing uh, Lip out there and uh, doing all that. So that was great. And then they put me in AAA from A-ball. So I skipped double A and went straight to AAA. So I thought that was that was just amazing. What was the process that got you to second base? Miguel Tejada, mostly. <laughs> that, was the, that was the main thing. And I played shortstop in Sacramento. Uh, Eric Kinski was a third, and I was at short. And um, I played there until even the next year. I played there the full season, that one, uh, 2000 and, 2001. And then even starting the second season there, I, I was playing shortstop. And then Randy Velarde got hurt on opening night. I got called up to Oakland like four at bats in a month got sent back down and I think they called Esteban up I think either Frankie was struggling or Andy got hurt again or something and then uh, um, called Esteban up and he struggled a little bit and then I got called up after that I think around June June-ish or so and then uh, Randy got hurt I think the first night I was up there he was 40 years old at this point and then I played the next day I got three hits played the next day I think I got two or three more hits and then uh, was in the lineup uh, pretty much every day since then at second base because and Rod Washington was my my savior because he he took me out there every day before the games and just gave me a crash course on playing second base and because um, you know Miguel was unbelievable at that time and um, it was great and it was there the team was pretty stacked at the time you know there wasn't a lot of positions to be had on that team and um, second base was one you know little bit of an opening there we all have Ron Washington stories, you know, at some point in our lives. Uh, I mean, I've, I've known Ron since 1989 when he was still a player when I was in the minor leagues in Tucson. And he, at 37, he thought he could still play in the big leagues every day, and he should be. <laughs> he probably still that, does. You know, that watch <laughs> brings to the table. Can can you just explain from the inside what those days were like with Wash? Those We see it we, even today with the Atlanta Braves. We see him hitting ground balls to Dan's being a, and Ozzy uh, Albies and all that stuff. We, we know all that stuff began years ago, and a lot of it made famous in Oakland. What was that like, just listening to the conversation, having him explain certain things in a way that really clicked? He's just an amazing teacher. Um, like you said, the, the way he can teach somebody how to catch a ground ball is I try to teach some kids 
even to this day and I'm like I try to like think of everything that Wash taught me you know and uh, it's just he has such a, a skill and an art that he, he does it with and his personality is just infectious you know and um, but he makes it so simple and so easy the technique of catching a ground ball then he's got he wears his watch and we in spring training is I mean he taught me a lot that first year but then spring training the next year we'd go out early in the morning and Ch me and Chavi would be out there and and he would just hit us ground balls and then it'd be like 10 11 minutes or whatever it was he'd be like okay you're done and then you didn't ever say like no a couple more no you're done he, he knows when you're done he knows when you had enough and but uh those those days early on in spring training early in the morning being out there with him were some of the best the best parts of the day for sure so 2002 is you know the 20th anniversary this year of the 20 yep. games where you started 19 of the 20 games you were in every game but you started 19 of the 20. Okay. Uh, day by day, as this thing was building, take me inside the clubhouse, take me inside the dugout as it continued to unfold. I was just telling somebody the story the other day. Um, I think we had a 10-day road trip in the middle of this 20-game win streak, which you don't win 10 days, 10 games in a row on the road ever. You know, they were like Detroit, Cleveland, like places where you now you give guys a couple days off maybe and, you know, try to rest them. But we won, I think, games in every – possible way that you can win a game we I remember in Detroit we were down big and I don't remember all the details of the game but John Mabry came up and got a huge hit to put us to put us ahead in the game and um, I also remember we'd score one or two runs in the first inning for like four or five days in a row and then our pitchers would just there's they weren't giving up anything from Mulder to Corey Lytle you know uh, Huddies you know all those guys we were giving up no runs in, at parts of this uh, parts of this uh, win streak and then we get to like game 14, 15, and we, I think we're back home at this point. And the signs start going up, and you can like feel energy around not only the stadium, but around town. You know, you, like, you go to breakfast, you go to lunch, whatever. You can start, people are starting to talk about it. And, you know, it's almost like a playoff atmosphere. You know, sometimes in the playoffs, you used to go around town and people are, you know, say, hey, good, good luck tonight, whatever. They were kind of doing the same thing uh, during this win streak. And also, we were having our little labor dispute during that time. And I was, terrified that they were gonna we were gonna strike and <laughs> our whole little win streak was gonna be over but the energy in that crowd on the 20th game after we blew up I think it was 11 to 0 lead and then came back and won that game was you know we never won the World Series so I never actually did ever so to have that energy in that crowd was the one of the top five top four or five feelings I had you know in the 12 years I was in the big leagues you drove in two runs in that last game. I think you made it 11 to nothing at that point early. And then, okay. you know, it kind of unraveled and we'd, we'd see it now on, on television. Do you get a kick out of the fact that that, that team was part of a, of, a, of a movie that got a lot of run and still continues to get a lot of attention today, Moneyball? Yeah, I think it was really neat. And uh, I get that question more than anything. You know, what was, what was it like being part of the Moneyball team? I mean, I played – I think I played in five or six different playoffs and some big games in the playoffs and nobody ever asked about that. All they ever ask about is Moneyball, you know, and how realistic is it and and uh, what, a, you know, was it really like that in the clubhouse? And so I, I talk about that a lot. I just went to speak to uh, a senior statistics class at my son's high school. Briggs is a freshman, but the seniors were doing a, a uh, the statistics class was doing a thing and they they watched Moneyball and they were talking about analytics and sports and all that. So I went to to speak to them and they had some great questions, you know, about 
who's in the clubhouse or these analytical guys in the clubhouse, you know, there's all kinds of different questions. And it was, it was really fun and eye opening that that movie was, you know, 20 years ago or the, not the movie, but the, the team was 20 years ago. And, um, it was, uh, and I told him, I said, I think it changed sports. You know, there's analytics in basketball, there's analytics in golf. I mean, every single sport. Then I read an article yesterday about Jeff Bagwell saying how <laughs> money ball is a farce, you know, now he's talking about we had the three best pitchers and Miguel Tejada and all that, but it's a thing. You know, you can you can say whatever you want about it. I remember I love love Charlie Steiner to death uh, with the Dodgers, but he uh, he hated Moneyball. He's oh, that's a bunch of crap, you know. <laughs> so, but it was but he's Charlie's great. He's just he's just a funny guy. And but uh, it was uh, it's very it's amazing how much people talked about it and how controversial it is for some people. And how they some people swear it doesn't work because we never won the World Series, you know. And I just think it's funny that people can have that opinion. Yeah, when, once you get into the dance, kind of all bets are off. But exactly, yeah. How Game Five of that first playoff for you in two thousand and two against Minnesota? How frustrating, how exhilarating, and how frustrating again was the ninth inning of Game Five? AJ Przinsky hits the home run. They're ahead. The Twins are ahead. You get up. You connect. Gardado says yes to the sign. Ellis hits a drive to left. That's deep. And that is gone for a home run. Mark Ellis explodes for a three-run homer. But the A's are still one shy here in the ninth inning with one out, five to four at Minnesota. Thinking that this team, with, with all the things that you had going for you earlier in the year, this has got to be magic again. How difficult was the, the conclusion of that game? I know you've had a few disappointments playoff wise, but that one had yeah. to be behind the list. That was really hard. We were, we had, I thought personally, I thought we had a really good team. I thought we were a million times better than the stinking twins, you know? And then, of course, AJ is the one who hit the home run. And AJ ended up being a teammate later on in my career. And I love him. He's, he's hilarious, but uh, definitely the guy. You want on your team and not playing against, you know. But um, I, I just was so I was crushed. It took me a long time to get over that. Even just being a rookie, you know, I thought I was really disappointed and couldn't wait for spring training to roll around the next season. But I really did think that we had a just a phenomenal team that year and was was really disappointed. You know, I don't know if there was scar tissue left over from the 2001 team for some of the guys. I'm not too sure, but it was um, that was a, that was a really tough one to get over. Mark, you experienced a lot early in your career from for obviously getting drafted by the Royals, but getting traded and then playing, and then a season-ending injury, which happened in spring training, the collision with Bobby. Yeah. Bobby. Uh, deflating, certainly. How did you get through that year? When, when you're an injured athlete, people don't really understand. We try to explain, and you'll be able to because you lived it, but you're kind of a ghost. I mean, yeah. you're, you don't want to be around because you don't feel like you can contribute, but you kind of want to be a part of it. Tell me how you got through that year, through uh, through. through Two thousand and four. That was really hard. You know, I was I was really excited. I didn't have a great year uh, in two thousand three, and worked really hard that off season and had a you know nice off season. I don't I know it doesn't translate all the time to uh, to a regular season, but I was, I was having a nice spring training and felt really good about playing with Bobby and uh, up the middle. And uh, you know, I thought we'd have a nice a nice season together, but um, I was crushed when when that injury came out. And you know, I. When they told me I was done for the year, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, just, I just hurt my shoulder. You know, it's not that big of a deal. You know, and um, was newly married, which helped. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, poor Sarah had to like, be with me probably in not the greatest of moods most of the time, you know. But, uh, 
I think without without having her around, it would have been a lot more difficult because I wasn't in Oakland very often. We we stayed back in Arizona and and trained or uh, rehabbed with uh, Paul Hospenthal, who is is amazing. Doogie, as most people know him, and um, he he was great too. He uh, he was very good to be around, and uh, he always lightens the mood and and helped me, you know, through through some really boring and tedious shoulder uh, rehab. So. Um, it was tough. It wasn't easy. I, I came up to Oakland a couple times, but you're right. You don't want to be. It's like you do. You feel like a ghost, and you just you want you know what these guys are going through during the season, so you don't want to, you know, to get in their way. And uh, I think we were having a pretty good year in 2004 too. Just barely missed the playoffs, and um, but it was definitely not easy. And you know, but without Sarah, it would have been a lot more difficult. Mark, you were on teams with guys that could be considered carriers. You know, Miguel Tejada could carry the team. Jason Javi could do it. Eric Chavez could do it from time to time. And you were more than just a contributor. You actually had some solid years as well. But you always, when we talked with you through those years, you always led with talking about defense. Defense was the most important thing to you. And as many A's fans know, and we can echo this yet again, the fact that there's no gold gloves in your house is ludicrous. The kind of years that you had, I know you, you kind of take it as as a the great professional that you are. But explain your your feelings about the fun it was playing defensively at the level that you did. And as much as guys want to hit home runs and get the game winning hits, you got so much joy out of turning that double play or staying in there with a guy coming down on you and trying to not take you out of a play. And you were able to execute it time and time again. No, without a doubt, you know if. Uh... If I didn't play that level of defense, you know, with I've had some had some good years offensively, had some years where I needed to play good defense, <laughs> to put it that way, you know. But um, it's I did I took a lot of pride in it. And one thing I always appreciated in Oakland, we had some I was there, we had some teams that weren't great, but we always pitched well, and for the most part, we caught the ball pretty well, and we had a chance to to win the ball game. You know, we had some teams that might have been a little bit more offensively challenged, but um, I, I love playing in Oakland because we if it wasn't Mulder, Hudson, Zito, we had Dan Heron, Rich Harden, Joe Blanton, um, you know, guys like that, or even Kirk Sarlos is throwing sinkers and getting ground balls. You know, we always they always gave us a chance to to win some games with the with the pitching staff that we had. And um I you know, I got to play with some really good shortstops. I got to play some with Chavi at third, you know, it was just a blast to play with. And um it was it was very important to me to take my glove out there every day whether I was hitting or not hitting because I wanted to contribute whatever way I could you know if I wasn't hitting I wanted to maybe get a walk I wanted to find a way to get on base or make sure the other guys weren't getting hits you know do my best defensively and um, it's still the same thing I tell uh, my boys team you know hitting is gonna hitting is gonna come and go you're gonna have your boppers you're gonna have guys who smash the ball but if you can throw strikes and if you can catch the ball you're gonna have a chance to win every baseball game so I took a lot of pride in that Mark when when you look at South Dakota and you talk about Major League Baseball it's basically for the most part you know, Dick Green Dave Collins Mark Ellis Now Dick played second base for the World Series teams here at the A's you played on all the playoff teams for the athletics how did that bond start and, and how did it develop over time where Dick Green admired, you know, what you were accomplishing? And I know you were a guy that would take the time to learn about who he was as a player and found out how special his defense meant to those great ace teams in the 70s. Yeah, you know, obviously I knew about Dick Green when I was growing up and I think my dad uh, somehow interconnected with his wife in the radio world. The And, uh, but I really got to know him when they – 
the teams are coming back for the reunions um, when it was like my first year, second year, and third year. I think it was the the three reunions that uh, that the guys came back to, and uh, you know we got to talking, and you know he's just he's so he's a great guy, so infectious, great personality, and um, wanted nothing but success for me, you know, and I always appreciated that. And um, uh, Ray Fossey was great with Dick. He would tell me stories about Dick Green all the time. He loved having. Uh, having Greeny, as they called him on the team and um, tell me about you know how much power he actually had how, how much power Greeny actually had we just didn't hit a lot of home runs in the game but he said he very strong individual and he said his defense was just incredible so it was it was always fun to hear stories from Foss about um, about Dick Green and um, you know uh, I know he doesn't like to fly so he did I don't know if he came to all three of the reunions but he came to at least two of them I remember him being out there and you know when he was there and I knew he was in the stands I always tried to you know do something a little extra special when he was there just because one is from my hometown and two you know it's just that second base you know tradition and being from rapid city and all that so i definitely didn't want to have a bad game when he was there mark the, the emotions of 2006 that postseason you're you're with the team in minnesota the the when the playoffs began it was like you don't want to play the twins in minnesota because of their crowds great record and you're going to face johan santana you rather face somebody else you rather face the tigers and the Tigers play the Yankees, and they beat the Yankees, and you beat the Twins. You're you're there for Mark Kotze's inside the park home run in game two. That's gives you two games and a lead. And yet, at the end of that game, you're you're out of it with with the broken hand. Uh, I, the emotions that you've experienced on the field in some of these most key moments are excruciating at times. Uh, remind me of what happened in, in that moment and watching the A's do something you know they kept on asking them to do, which was advance in the postseason. They finally got to the ALCS against the Tigers that day? Uh, yeah, I remember um, Frank Thomas. Thank God we had Frank Thomas because I think he had pretty good career numbers against Johan. And he had hit two home runs in that first game. And then Kotze's home run inside the park home run was electric. Our dugout was going nuts. And um, <laughs> it was incredible to hear that crowd silence. But, you know, you can hear your your family section up in the stands, like all probably 25 of them in the A's front office and all that cheering for us, you know. But, that was an incredible, incredible moment. Um, the broken finger was absolutely crushing for me. Also, um, Joe, Joe Nathan is on the mound throwing slider, 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 and I'm just trying to trying to stay in the battle and fight and fight and fight, and I'm just barely, barely getting a piece of these sliders. And all of a sudden, next pitch, I'm just diving out way over the plate, you know, thinking he's going to throw another slider. And then he threw a two seam fastball up and in, and I did a little check swing, and it hit me off the finger and uh, ended up breaking my finger and. I tried. I grabbed a ball. I ended up, I don't know, struck out, I think, or whatever, and uh, went up in the tunnel up in the Metrodome and grabbed a ball and tried to throw it. And I felt my finger was, I felt like my finger was going with the baseball, you know. So I was really disappointed, and um, it, was, it was tough. I remember Bob Guerin trying to talk me into staying on the roster to pinch run. And I was like, well, yeah, we don't pinch run anyways, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't you can't play a man short in, in uh, the playoffs, you know, so. Actually, that's when they called up Mark Kiger, I believe, who had never played a day in the big leagues, another Gator. And um, he came up, and I think he actually started one game. So well, I think De D'Angelo Jimenez started game right. three at second base for you, and Marco had the great game, and you guys yes. uh, beat Brad Ratke, and, and, and off you went. Yep, that's right. Mark, yep. one of the classiest guys in the history of this organization, and among the many things that epitomizes that was when you were traded – in 2011 to the Colorado Rockies. Some people may remember this, others may not. 
that was one of the more popular promotions that day, Root Beer Float Day. And, you know, that's – you go over Root Beer Float Day uh, – uh, in the East Side Club, and the place is packed. I mean, you've got wall-to-wall A's fans and balloons, and you've got Vida and Ricky and you know, current players like yourself, and uh, all kinds of people trying to raise money for junior di- for juvenile diabetes. You already knew, we, we find this out after the fact, that you were traded to the Rockies, and yet you still felt it was important to be out there and participate. What was that day like for you? That was a tough day. That was a really tough day. It was a lot of emotions. Um, so Bob Bob Millen was is an unbelievable manager. He's, he does a really good job, as everybody in Oakland knows. But he told me the night before, maybe even two nights before, that I was playing. I think it was, well, I think it was a Sunday. It was a day game, anyways. And uh, he said, "Yeah, you're playing. You know, whatever." So I get to the field, and my name's not in the lineup. Which is weird for Bob. That doesn't doesn't happen, you know. So I just, I didn't go in and say anything, you know, I was like, okay, whatever, you know. And uh, then he pulls me in his office and says, hey, we got something going on with uh, Colorado. He said, they're, I think they're trading phys- or, uh, you know, physicals or whatever right now. And, you know, we're trying to figure everything out. So I was all right. Then he like started thinking about it, you know, and I'm excited because I wasn't playing a lot in Oakland, obviously, because Jamal makes us hit like 800. You know, so he was he was doing he was just playing amazing, and I had a terrible start to the season. So, it, you know, it's probably time. It was time for me to move on. And but at the same time, you know, you look, you got Vuce in the clubhouse, you got my teammates, and you know, you, you hate to leave got these guys. Cliff Pennington is you know up and coming and playing good baseball, and Suzuki and those guys, you know. So, but no, I had committed to do this root beer float thing. So, and I think my wife was involved and out there and in, in the outfield. So. That was, there's no way I wasn't going to do it. So I went up there and did it and came back in and had to do a press conference after that. Um, and that was tough. You know, Billy was up there and David, and they said really nice things. And that was really hard. But then I went home, <laughs> went home and got my stuff and played in Colorado the next night. So it was uh, just, that's funny how just life goes on. You know, it's just the way baseball is. It's crazy. How did you look back on the time in Colorado? Then after that, you played for a storied franchise of the Dodgers, and then you end up with the Cardinals, another place that that really loves anything about the Cardinals. What were those years like for Mark Ellis? Colorado was quick. You know, it was uh, it was really quick, and not we did not have a great second half of the season. But one thing I really enjoyed was playing with Troy Tulowitzki, who when I I knew he was a great player, but when I got traded over, that I had no idea he was that good of a shortstop. He was. I mean, high, very, very high-level defensive shortstop, and I didn't realize that until I got there. So that was a lot of fun to play with him um, and to watch Todd Helton take an at-bat, take four at-bats every single day, no matter what the score was, um, no matter how his back felt at that time, was truly amazing. To That guy never gave up one pitch of one at-bat. You know, I, th- I know that's easy to say. Like, everybody, well, yeah, you're getting paid to do this. You should never give up a pitch in an at-bat. But this guy already had however many hits he had, already had this distinguished career. We were not in the race anymore, and the way he grinded out at bat was phenomenal to watch. I just can't believe um, every at bat, the way he took that at bat. So that was that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun to watch him, and I learned a lot from watching Todd Helton and uh, playing with Tulowitzki too. That was they were. Uh, um, really fun guys to play with. Uh, and I didn't know what was going to happen after the season. I thought Colorado might want me back, but you never know. They showed a little bit of interest and maybe even made an offer. I don't remember. But then 
uh, Ned Coletti called from the Dodgers, and I was like, okay, this is, I know they're not doing great right now, but this is still Dodger Stadium. This is still, you know, a great organization to play for us. So we figured something out for a couple of years down there and uh, got to play for Don Mattingly, who is uh, just, I don't know how many people have got to meet him, but he is just like, if I say cool, <laughs> if I say cool, it's Don Mattingly. And he's not trying to be cool. He's just cool. He's just the way he is. And all, all he wants to do is work hard and play hard and you'll have his respect. And uh, he is, he's a great man. He is a really, really fun guy to play for. And um, we had some good teams in LA. We had probably um, maybe outside of, maybe outside of the early 2002, 2003 age teams, uh, the most talented teams that I played on were in uh, the second year for sure in LA. And then you said goodbye as a Cardinal. Said goodbye as a Cardinal or maybe baseball may have said goodbye to me. I don't know. But uh, that was uh, that was a tough year for me. Um, just I was away from my family a lot. Away from my family. Wasn't playing good baseball. Um, but to be in the central part of the country and travel that way after being on the West Coast forever was was really amazing. It was, uh, you know, you get on a plane and it's an hour. You're going to Milwaukee. You're going to Chicago. I was, I was like, this is crazy. This is un unbelievable. So... Love that. Love playing with Yadi Molina, uh, Matt Holiday. I got to play with him again. Who's a good friend, and um, uh, was fun to be in that um, organization. Uh, John Mazaliak is. Uh, I think he's great. He treated me very well. Uh, Mike Matheny treated me very well. Um, so I, I appreciated uh, my time in St. Louis. I just wish I could have played a little bit better and uh, had a little bit more success there. Uh, but Colton Wong was up and coming too. It was kind of like Jamile Weeks. You know, he. Uh, he was up and coming and uh, is now proven to be a really top-notch top, top -notch second baseman and uh, plays really good defense, and he's got a little pop on the bat, too. As we uh, say goodbye to Mark Ellis in this Where Are They Now episode, Mark, how much attention are you paying to Major League Baseball, maybe the A's? And then, you know, the one thing that I know a lot of people would like to see is Mark Ellis back in the game. I know you've got young kids still at home, and you, like you mentioned, you, you missed a lot of that time, so you're going to take every – ounce of ability to make sure that you spend time with them now but uh, I know baseball has a place for you you know to be a part of it again uh, are you thinking that maybe somewhere down the road that you would throw on some uh, a uniform somewhere and hit some fungos and tell some of the stories and teach some of the things that you learned over the years I would never never say no you know because that's it's uh, definitely a possibility but right now I'm having so much fun watching my son play baseball I'm having Great time watching my daughters do their uh, activities. And um, I do stay connected. My youngest is all of a sudden loves baseball. So it's every time, every day she gets home from school, uh, she wants to put the game on. And um, she's the youngest, so A's fans don't get mad. She is a huge Dodgers fan because that's what she remembers, you know, as far as my career goes. And she loves coming home and seeing what the Dodgers did. And she's kind of into the analytics. She likes the on-base percentage and the OPS and all that stuff. So. It's a lot of fun. So I do. We was at, we're at the A's game the other night, and we had a great time. And uh, it's fun to see Cots uh, in that manager seat. And I hope he does great. Mark, I appreciate the time. All the best to you and Sarah and the kids up there in Seattle, and hope our paths cross again. You're one of the all-time great guys, and I I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Well, thanks a lot, Vince. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me. Where are they now with A's second baseman Mark Ellis? This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 